Hello! Welcome to Impersonal Opinion, the show where we don't take our opinions personally. I'm Chandler Klebs, and I'm here with Ronnie, George, Jamie, and David, and we're going to be talking about paradoxes. And from what I understand, Ronnie is looking up the definition of what a paradox is, and we can talk about the various paradoxes um, and because Ronnie is very paradoxical, and so she has these very interesting Facebook posts I read, but I'm sure we all um, have paradoxes that we know about. So, Ronnie, do you have that definition available? I do. All right. Continue with that. All right. A paradox is a statement or proposition that, despite sounding, despite sound or apparently sound reasoning from acceptable premises, leads to a conclusion that seems senseless, logically unacceptable, or self-contradictory. Yeah. Can, uh, can, can someone give me an example then, please? Um, okay. I can give you an example. Give me just a second. Okay. All right. Have you, heard the, the, uh, the, have you ever read the line? Um, actually, you know what? I can just say the line, and yeah. you'll understand why it's a paradox. Okay. This statement is false. <laughs> well, okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> what? Okay, the statement is false. This so, statement is false. That's called the liar's paradox, I believe. Because if it's true, then it's false. <laughs> if it's false. Wow. I know about the grandfather paradox. Uh, is if, that the time traveling one? Yeah, it's really funny. Um, do you want me to tell uh, our audience what the grandfather paradox is? Sure. You could you could tell me as well. I'm going to be slow to catch up on this one. Okay. Well, basically, from how I read it on Wikipedia, <laughs> is the grandfather paradox is basically where somebody they go back in time and kill their own grandfather. Um. But the problem with this, and I don't know why somebody would kill their grandfather, because that's not very nice. Maybe, maybe your grandfather was Hitler. I mean... Yeah. Okay, so let's suppose that you go back way in time and you kill your grandfather, but because your grandfather is one of your ancestors, and by them being killed, it leads to a an alternate universe where you were never born, because... If, if your grandfather was killed before they reproduced enough to make your father or your mother, well, then you don't exist. So, in other words, you didn't exist to be able to go back in time and kill your grandfather. <laughs> and this is one of the problems that would come up if time travel were possible. So that's a bit like the Terminator storyline, isn't it? It's the, uh, the idea that they're coming back in time to kill John Connor. But if they didn't come back in time, then the Terminators wouldn't exist anyway. So, so they need John Connor to exist in order to kill him. You'd, you'd understand if you've seen the movies. Well, I've seen Back to the Future, which has a similar situation. Because, you know, where Marty, um, he runs into his parents. And then his mom has the hots for him instead of his father. And so Marty uh, has to get his parents back together in love. Or he's wiped out of existence. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and anybody who hasn't seen Back to the Future should totally see the first of that series. Because it has that whole story. <laughs> but that's a paradox. <laughs> okay, so um, can you can you tell me if... if like, I don't believe in ghosts, but when I watch a horror film, I still get scared. Is that, 
that's not a paradox, is it? That's just like cognitive dissonance. Well, I, it's it's the fear of the unknown, and so if you can't really, you it may not necessarily be it, you. You might not believe in ghosts, but you might not know that there aren't ghosts, and so there's a possibility then that there are ghosts, and so there's that unknown possibility, which is probably why you get scared. And also, there are there's psychological stuff when it comes to sound. The sound that they use when they have these shows will uh, make you more likely to feel like jittery, like. Uh, well, yeah, so I'm going to be scared, yeah. Yeah, well, you know what, uh, David? Um, when you see something scary, whether it's real or not, when you're seeing it in a movie, it is real to you at that time and can really scare you. <laughs> yeah, and plus flight off, um, flight, uh, you know, the fear response and that stuff. Um, a lot of this has to do with the subconscious, doesn't it, George? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, subcon- the unconscious is like, it's, I mean, you know, like this we, we talk about a lot in, uh, relative to free will, like, any any kind of thought we have, any decision we make is actually being made by the unconscious. So I don't know if that qualifies as, as a paradox. Um, but yeah, no, because like all the data by which we make decisions and the principles by which we make decisions and the process of decision making, that's all in the unconscious. So absolutely. And it's good to have a fear center, too, because if you don't have a fear center, you're more likely to take uh, risks that result in death criminal offending and stuff like that yeah and you know i guys i think it could be said that belief in free will is sort of a paradox and i'm sure some of you would understand this because the idea that you're making people think that they're making decisions that they're you know they're the they're consciously just freely deciding their destiny and yet everything has to stem from prior causes or for the indeterminists you know randomness and yet they still believe that they're in control. So that's kind of a paradox too, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm wondering even like if the concept free will, yeah, in other words, like free will, um, relative determinism, like people say that like, well, we caused our free will decision. So like it's a paradox that the causality that kind of like that free will requires is the same causality that makes free will impossible. In other words, there can't be a free will without, you know, our causing you know a free will decision but if we say that then like the causality just like you know uh, refutes free will yeah, yeah. But the, the only way free will can be possible is if people can literally make decisions out of nothing but we know by you know um certain principles i, I think that's a really i don't know that i agree with that um i i the 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 concept of free will is simply the ability to make decisions and uh, it is not anything more, and it is not anything less. No, Ronnie, Ronnie, it's like, uh, because, like, we all make decisions, so like, if that was the case, there'd be no debate. You know, it's so clear that we all make decisions. And actually, it also depends on how we define decisions, because, like, for example, a computer, you know, comes up with answers, you know, like, that seem like decisions, but they're actually all programmed. So, in other words, like, let's oh, say right. we make... But human beings are not computers. No, no, but my point is that, like, if we, if human beings make a decision, but if that decision is caused by this chain of cause and effect that regresses behind everything, then actually it's not really our decision. You know, we're, we're making the decision, but it's not ours, or or we're kind of like manifesting it. What well, George is trying to say is that we're basically byproducts of evolution. We only know morality because we were taught it. I wasn't talking about morality. You don't have right. to necessarily. Well, morality has um, a lot to do with the free will debate, so. 
Yeah. Well, it's kind of an interesting thing because, I mean, it is a good paradox. And so um, what, it's interesting because basically the way I like to say it is, well, you know, we don't control what our decisions are. <laughs> we don't choose our choices. We don't decide the outcome of our decisions. Uh, it's we don't choose the consequences, but you know that there are consequences. That's a cause and effect thing, not a, not a free will thing. Well, this is very interesting because it, if, like, upon what basis do you d decide um, your actions? That's the, that's the key issue. Well, yeah, free will is about going back and finding out so much why you make a decision. Free will is simply asking whether or not you can make decisions. So if you can choose something over another thing, then you have free will. Well, I, I think that... I I, I think that would just be classed as will and not free no, will. No, free will is the ability to make decisions. Will itself is simply a desire. Now, Ronnie, free will, in other words, like it's like a decision that would be freely made would be made free of factors. Um, no, no, no. No, that's not necessarily true. Because we're all bound by our factors and our limitations, but we're free to act within them. Well, even, even that, again, like when we use it, again, this is according to, like, for example... St. Augustine coined the, the term free will, and so like he, basic, he basically used it to hold human beings responsible for the evil that we do. In other words, like, because he wanted to absolve God. He wanted like to consider God as good, and so God being incapable of doing evil. So then he said, well, human beings are free to choose what to do independent of God's, let's say, omnipotence. So freedom always, in, within this context, relates to factors that are not within a human's control. Yeah, that's the libertarian definition of free will. Well, I, mean, um, I, think, I think what she's saying is she's using the compatibilist definition of free will. You know, we're still yeah, I'm using a very basic definition, a very general definition of free will, that is simply that you have the ability to make decisions. Like, no, uh, there's actually a paradox. Well, uh, you could call it a paradox. There's actually a little puzzle that uh, regards free will. Um, it's, it was meant to be satirical to those who believe that we do not have free will. And um, I believe Aristotle was the one who first came up with it. But there's another version of it. Let me pull it up. It's called uh, something about a, an ass. And when I say <laughs> ass, I don't know. Burden, Burden's ass? Like Burden's have, ass. Sure. <laughs> that's, that's you've got a... a an ass, basically, donkey, whatever, um, equidistant between two bales of hay, incapable of deciding which one to um, to eat, right? Yeah, it says, uh, the donkey has been programmed to follow strict deterministic rules in, de in choosing which bale of hay to eat. The trouble is there is nothing in the donkey's past, nor in the situation in front of him, that enables the algorithm governing his behavior to, to select between the two bales of hay. It follows, then, that the donkey will stand in front of the hay trapped in indecision until he starves to death. <laughs> All right, but I would reject that. In other words, because, like, the, the donkey has kind of like a motivation to eat, right? In other right. words, like, the donkey will get increasingly so hungry. So he's going to choose. Right. At some point, he's going to choose one of those bales of hay. But if he does that, then he's making a decision that he was apparently not able to make. Right, but that's what I would reject the, the idea that he's apparently not able to make it because, like, that's well, the point. If, if he's able to make a decision, then he has free will. And if he's not able to make the decision, then he has determined will. 
No, no. no the reason why we make decisions in the first place is because we're weighing the pros and cons. Say, like, in a survival right, situation. Right, and that's how you make decisions. So, in other words, like, Ron, in other words, the donkey's decision in this case would be whether to eat or not. You know, because, like, you know, there's two decisions. Which bale of hay and then whether, whether to eat. Well, he knows, so, like, that he knows that he wants to eat. He just doesn't know which bale to eat. All right, so, like, so it's, in other uh, words, like, Aristotle put this one in a different way, and I think it's a little bit better. Let's say that a man is equally hungry and thirsty, and he is equally, uh, he is in the middle of uh, food and drink. It's still the hedonic principle, because they're going towards pleasure and away from pain. Well, it says uh, he's equally hungry and thirsty, so. And actually, sometimes, like, they're, you know, like, for example, like, they'll have people, um, decide whether to choose um, an item on the left and or, or uh, an item on the right or an item on top or an item on the bottom and actually right. based on our personality based on our genetics we're predisposed to to like choose uh, right rather than left or, or top uh, rather than but bottom so like so let's say you uh, are predisposed to that let's say for example we and we used this example last time pizza because pizza <laughs> I can choose even though I am predisposed, my taste buds are predisposed to like certain types of pizzas, I can choose to eat a type of pizza that I do not like. Right, but I again, like, to do that. you can choose, but relative to the free will question, you can't make that choice without no, having it. I can't it. make my tongue a certain way. No, Ronnie, you I can still choose to eat whichever pizza I like. Ronnie, my point is you can't make that choice without that choice having been caused. So, like, once, once we establish that, then we, we also establish that everything has a cause. So, basically, the reason why you chose, you know, the food you chose was because of this chain of cause and effect that regresses back to before you were born. So, that, that's why, you know, the decision isn't free of factors outside of our control. Well, no, 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 no. Free will is not being able to control everything. Free will does not have that, that power. Free will is simply, at its basic, basic form, is the ability to make decisions. But Ronnie, I mean, like, that's that's the compatibilist redefinition of free will, because the, the free will debate goes before that. You know, in other words, like, when the Greeks discussed it, you know, they had words for fate and destiny. They, they had no words for either will nor free will, because it was, like, their understanding that everything was destined. So So this debate actually came into being... You know, because obviously people would say, sure, we make decisions all the time, but we're only speaking colloquially. The, the debate about free will is like, it's, you know, you look it up in, in Stanford Encyclopedia of, of Philosophy, in Wiki, the, the, the key factor the, 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 of the debate has always been, you know, factors outside of our control. Now, people like Daniel Dennett and others and Kant who can't, couldn't accept that, they they redefined the term outside of the original debate in order to kind of like say we have a free will, but it, it's really a straw man argument. It's kind of like using the it, term. Re, it, it's okay to redefine things sometimes. Sometimes. Well, I mean, if but there like, is, obviously there was um, there are millions, yeah, billions of people who believe in free will. And no, but again, so there's a foundation for that. But Ronnie, for example, like here in the United States, people believe they have a free will because like our laws uh, allow them to like, they say they have more free will here in the United States than oh, no, like in another country. So no. like a lot of, a lot free of people actually, based on laws. 
No, no, I know. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that a lot of people have a misconception of what the philosophical debate about free will has been about. Yeah. 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 See, yeah. what I wanted to clarify is people are confused about what free will means because they're told different definitions. We can't change definitions to suit you. Um, right. This is true. Um, but like I said, the definition of free will is pure, is simply the ability to make decisions. Ronnie, Ronnie, go to Wiki and, and, and read us what Wiki says about this. Okay. Okay. Georgia, I think you're echoing. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we are echoing. Uh, I'm not sure how. Yeah, long. all of us are echoing a little bit, which is kind of strange. But, but yeah, yeah. Um, um, the the debate has gotten confused because compatibilism is more of a modern thing, from my understanding. Because originally, the free will debate, especially within Christianity, is about whether you have the kind of freedom of choice that allows you to deserve heaven or hell. So, um. Here's a quick question. If we assume that determinism is correct and true, what are you going to do about it? Well, the idea, Ronnie, the, the reason we do these podcasts and the shows and the write the books is because when we know that nobody is like fundamentally morally responsible for what we do, we can treat them with more compassion, with more understanding. We, we don't blame people. We don't blame ourselves. It really creates a better world. That seems okay, but what are you gonna do? Well, I we're mean, gonna we're uh, gonna teach. Go ahead. Are you, are you just are you gonna keep making choices? Well, we're <laughs> gonna make choices, but actually, most technically, all right. The difference between a computer and a human being is essentially that a human being is conscious, but like a computer and a human being are both subject to the same causal principle that makes you know makes choices actually impossible because like again if if it we're quote unquote choosing, but because this quote unquote choice has a causal regression, this chain of cause and effect behind it that regresses that back to before we were born, it's really not technically a choice. We ne never technically choose. We just use the word as a convention. Right. I, I like to just call it like a behavior or an action or something along those lines. So nobody's morally responsible for what they do. Correct. Well, yeah. Yeah. Basically, this is this is the heart of the matter, Ronnie. If because nobody is morally responsible for what they do, then you cannot hold anything that anybody does against them. Correct. Which means you cannot sue somebody who set your house on fire because he did not. He he was not morally responsible for setting your house on fire. You cannot have your rapist put in prison because he did not choose to rape you. He did, you cannot put the murderer in prison because he did not choose to murder. You cannot uh, arrest the thief because he did not choose to steal. And so the police are all unnecessary because nobody makes decisions. That's not what we're saying at all, Ronnie. No, I'm, I'm taking what you said, and maybe you, you've said it uh, in such a way that I don't fully understand it. But from what I understand, which is to say that you do not, that you're not morally responsible for what you do and therefore should not be held morally responsible for what you do since you aren't, then that's how it follows. That's the logic that does follow. Ronnie, there's, there's, there's a, um, in the mental health system, for example, uh, psychiatrists, psychologists recognize, for example, like somebody may have Tourette's syndrome, Tourette's syndrome or something. Tourette's. Tourette's, sorry. And they, they just like shout out obscenities and it's not under that's their control. True. 
right? The Tourette's so like, syndrome so, is what's called an exception to the rule, but it is well, not the rule itself. Or let's say, let's say alcoholism, right? Alcoholism is is, is a disease. Is a disease. So, in other words, like, so it's not like an alcoholic can do what what they want because we all we have to uphold rules and laws and order. So, like, we we may have to kind of like you know. If yes, but an a rule and a law and order is not going to stop an alcoholic right, because Ronnie, an alcoholic is sick. Ronnie, my point is like within the mental health profession, people don't can't just do whatever they want. You know, even though it's acknowledged that they don't, you know, they didn't choose their illness. So in other words, like, you know, this, but this idea is, again, an exception to a rule. And not... All right, Ronnie, just stop. Try to not interrupt. You know, let me finish my thought. Okay. Um, so basically, you know, within the mental health profession, you know, doctors recognize that people don't choose to, let's say, become depressed or to become angry or to become anxious. But, you know, there people act you know, uh, in ways that, that are, there were, were, we quote unquote hold them responsible. We don't fundamentally hold them responsible. But in other words, like the, the rules and the laws that we impose are based on a pragma pragmatic need to maintain order, to have rules and laws that, that benefit everyone. They're not based on moral judgment. They're based on simple, you know, a necessity based on civilization. But laws um, are based on some moral judgments. For example, murder is illegal because murder is morally wrong. Yeah, but the, the real reason why we have that law in the first place is because these actions have consequences on people. People suffer a loss of loved ones. But if nobody That's... can choose to perform an action, then why would you punish them for performing an action? Because we don't want to suffer. If they couldn't choose to do it in the first place. No, because in, in psychology, like... We are conditioned to seek pleasure and avoid pain, and we understand that we um, respond to reward and punishment. You know, in psychology, there might be a, an, an experiment, and it doesn't have to do with free will at all, but psychologists know that if they reward subjects for a certain behavior, the subjects would be more likely to repeat the behavior, and if the subjects are punished for a certain behavior, you know, the subjects are less likely to behave in it. And the same goes for deterrence. So it's not about free will. It's about like people understanding the consequences of what we do, and then just basically society imposing rewards and punishments to kind of guide our behaviors in certain ways. And I mean, there is but the thing is, is that we have more people in prison for repeat offenses than we have for first-time offenses. So the no, punishment I, clearly isn't working. And yeah, if you well, can't choose to do the action in the first place, then the punishment nor the reward is going to make a difference. Well, you know, there here's an interesting thing: as you're, you're, there's a truth in what you say there, Ronnie. Because if people, if the fundamental reasons and causes that lead them to do a certain thing are not changed, then deterrence alone isn't enough. They need to be reformed or re-educated. You know, there is that's. That's a very important thing because – and basically the reason uh, for why people, um, you know, they're not – it's not so much about them punishing criminals. It's about jailing them to prevent them from doing it again and hurting other people because it's predictable that somebody who uh, murders, they expect them to murder again, you know, or rape or whatever the case may be. And that's the reasoning behind it. But we're not 
where you understand it's not an actual punishing the person as though they deserve it, but just a practical measure of society. So a rapist doesn't deserve to be in prison? Correct. Well, yeah, a rapist doesn't deserve to go to hell. Doesn't, we don't deserve, and we don't like... And I'm not saying to... hell. I'm simply saying prison. No, absolutely. And like when we do some something good, we don't really quote-unquote deserve fundamentally to be rewarded. But it's... It's human again, beings don't deserve anything, so... It's, exactly, it's a convention. Des dessert is a convention basically because, because we don't have a free will. In other words, we can't take credit for the good we do, and we can't fundamentally blame ourselves or other for the, for the bad. But again, pragmatically, because we're hardwired to seek pleasure and avoid pain, and because we re respond well to rewards and punishments, that's why we, we impose these laws and these rules. Exactly. But we clearly don't respond well to um, rewards and punishments because, again, we have so many repeat offenders. People who go to prison, who come back out and that do something again. That just shows the rehabilitation system. If in the punishment course. was supposed to work, if, the punishment, if people responded to punishment, if anybody responded to punishment in such a way that uh, it was effective, then, this, then we wouldn't have so many repeat offenders and people would probably learn to do what's right. However, no, I think the problem more is... Like is psychology. That's yeah. True. See, what we're saying, Ronnie, is that we need to go beyond the deterrence. We need to go beyond rewarding punishment because it's hey, not effective enough. That's the thing, is we, that, we're that we're talking about re-education. We're talking about getting to the root causes that lead people to do things. I can't um, remember documentary but there was a documentary i saw uh, on psychopaths a while back and they said that they found genes associated with violent offending it's uh, the so-called warrior gene ever heard of it um george no absolutely and and you know even some academics have this gene but their upbringing you know from a good uh, family with with good standards and all has kind of like prevented them to from expressing that gene in a criminal way so like it's not it's a predisposition it's not an exact you know condition that the person will behave a certain way. So if there is uh, such a gene that will determine say violence or harmful behavior toward others, what do we do when we find out that an infant has been found, has been a uh, has that gene? What do we do? Now they're genetically predisposed to violent behavior. What do we well, do? Well, I mean, if if we theorize if if we like um, obtain data. Can we kill the infant. No, no, but if we have genetic engineering, that, that we can engineer we that trait out. All we have right now is the knowledge that the gene might exist, so... Right, so no, if we I don't, don't have that, what do we do? Well, I think we'd... In other words, like, since the gene isn't a complete predisposing factor that environmental effects also affect the, the adult's behavior, then I think we would, we'd be wise to put those children in an environment very conducive to upholding the law, you know. We want to be very careful with that population to not, like, neglect them and to not, like, put them in, in environments that would cause them to uh, commit crimes. So if crimes. they were put in the right environment, they would be fine. That's, that's yeah, that's the, one That's answer. the idea. If that's the case, then their genetics didn't matter in the first place. Well, well again, it, it still does make a make a difference, but the point is that biology plus environment. Well, it's more like uh, environment can top biology, is what you're saying. Correct. We're, we're not saying that everything is biologically determined. That would be insane. That would be like right. saying that, that yeah, that would be false. Yeah, yeah, because it's true. It's true that we have biological and environmental um, 
factors that go into who we are. However, it is also true that we are able to overcome these things. You hear about these, you know, these sorts of stories all the time. I grew up in an abusive household, but I'm perfectly fine. These people can change. They can change, but the first thing that you have to do to change is want to change and make the decision to change. And you couldn't do that if you couldn't make decisions at all. Actually, yeah. um, the reason why these people change is because they recognize they have a problem. People who don't recognize they have a problem won't change. It's not just, yes, they have to recognize they have a problem, but then they have to choose to change the problem, to fix the problem. And again, they couldn't choose to fix the problem if they couldn't choose anything. Well, to they have to be influenced to, uh, to choose. They can't just choose yes, from nowhere. They have to decide yes. themselves. Yeah, yeah, but there'll be a and reason why they do decide to to uh, to do something. Well, I I don't well, know about that, but I mean, they can try. Well, actually, yeah. Ronnie, I highly disagree because if you put somebody into a situation that forces them to make a decision, then basically, no matter what their decision is, you cause them to do it, and that's a very important thing that has to be understood. Can you give me an example? Well, if it like that. Well, okay. Here's a good example. If you don't mind me using abortion as an example, um, because basically, if if okay, let's just, let's just take an interesting example. Let's let's say that a man rapes a woman and 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 she gets pregnant. Okay. Okay. Well, here's the deal. Regardless of your feelings on abortion, whatever she does, whether she raises the child, whether she um, gives it up for adoption, or whether she aborts the child, no matter what she does, she was not the first causer uh, that led to her pregnancy anyway. You know what, she is the cause of, and that's, that's true, but you can't just work on a, on a basic foundation. You have to go a little bit beyond that, because like you said, it's more than just biology and environment, and it's a little bit more than that too. So now we know that she's pregnant. Now we know that she's pregnant. Now she has the uh, free will to decide how she's going to, uh, to end or to keep or to put that child up for adoption. Well, see, that is her choice. Based well, on her limitations and the situation, that is her choice. And that's how we make choices, based on our limitations and well, based see, on our situation. But, Ronnie, we're not in control of our limitations. We don't we don't. That's okay. Ourselves. No, no, in other words, like, if we're not in control of our limitations, we're, you know, based, and our limitations are causing our choice, something that's not in our control is causing our choice. So, like, this, 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 um, this notion what do you mean of something that how how is you like I said you have to work within your like let's say you have a piece of paper you <clears> have to work and you have to work within the the boundaries of the piece of paper or let's say you have a canvas and you want to paint you have to paint within the boundaries of the canvas if you want a painting on canvas you can't go outside of the bound it doesn't work like that but when you paint on the canvas you're definitely painting. You're definitely choosing your strokes, and you're definitely choosing your picture. But, Ronnie, even if we're within the canvas, you know, whatever we do within the canvas is caused. So, like, as soon as, as soon as you introduce causality, you introduce this chain of cause and effect that regresses back to before we were born. And as soon as we do that, all but, of a sudden... No, we don't, we don't have to go back. The, the fact is, is that you simply, you pick up that paintbrush and you decide where that first stroke is going, and you decide where the next stroke is going. I know, but what our point is that you decide because of a cause. 
some a reason, something makes you decide, and then there's a cause to that cause, and a cause to that cause, and these causes are always go, going back it, in time. But even if there is a cause to all of these things, and life, you're, is, it is true that life regresses back so far, but um, even if there is a cause, the, the, the fact is that you do make decisions. But, but it won't be free. It won't be a free choice. If it's, but if you have a, a choice to not make the decision, too. Which is a, and that's what that's what the free choice is. But only if something causes you not to make that decision. That's outside no, of control. you have to do it. Not something else. You. The thing I'm, that's what we're saying is that it's never we or us that decides it, but the situation and the combination of biology and environment. Then tell me, tell me who, with an artist. Let's say he has a a, a paintbrush, and he says, "I'm going to paint a tree." He's decided to he. He chose to point to paint the tree. Now well, I want you to tell me person's acting based which on hand that. he's going to pick up the. Uh, actually, that's not the right. That's not the right word to use. I want you to be able to tell me who decides that is not him to uh, paint the first stroke. Okay. If you can't make the it's decision. Tell me who did. The, the, the tree did. Let's just, let's just say it to, to simplify it. Let's just say that the guy, in order to paint a tree, has to have the idea of a tree, and so Which he has to make. they've seen a tree. You know, I mean, everything that is fictional is based off of something not fictional. Everything that we can draw, anything, has to be based on something that we've experienced, some cause that led to the thought to even draw a tree. Well, right, there has to be a tree in order for you to want to draw a tree. That's just definition right there. Yes. But that doesn't, that doesn't tell me who decided for him, because he didn't decide, because he can't decide, because he has no free will. Who decided well, yeah. for him? Ronnie, here's where we got, the like, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, um, there's a part of this that actually transcends logic. In other words, like, in terms of who, if we're naturalistic... Okay, who or what? All right, so basically, like, if we're scientists, you know, we would attribute it to the universe. But, but that's problematic because, like, we could attribute it to the Big Bang, but then logic tells us that there was something that caused the Big Bang to happen. In other words, like, what we're saying is, like, this chain of cause and effect that regresses back behind every decision and every oh. act we do. Ronnie, let me finish. Okay. Um, this, the chain of cause and effect never stops going back. According to our logic, it doesn't have a beginning. So in terms of like asking who or what, we just, the only thing we could say is that it's the chain of cause and effect. Now, what, what, what initiated that cause and effect, this, this is, we're asking a question regarding what happened before the Big Bang. So we can't answer that question, but we can certainly answer the question that the, the chain of cause and effect regressed back to before we were born. And that's what, that's what renders free will impossible. Something that happened before we were born causes us to decide as we did. All right. Well, that, that's, um, I don't think that it's true that we don't have a beginning because everything has a beginning. A book has a beginning. The building of a computer has a beginning. The making of a, camp, a canvas has a beginning. Um, a sandwich has a beginning. It cannot be a book without an author. So... Yes, that's true. But the author is not the book. The author writes the book. And, and then and it gets into... there's only always one first word in the book. There is only always one first. If well, there is a second first, then 
that's not a first. Ronnie, but you're right. I mean, but there's there's like everything within the universe, and then there's the universe itself. You know, you're right. You're right. Everything after the Big Bang has a beginning. And as a matter of fact, the Big Bang is the beginning of the quote-unquote observed universe. But again, logic, you know, our logic says, well, you know, how did the Big Bang arise? How could, like, something just arise from Come nothing? From nothing? And that, that's where our, our, our logic, you know, can't answer that. Actually, I think our, our I think um, reason you can't answer that. You can have a reasonable answer. See, Ronnie, Christians, Jews, and all that stuff, they made the assumption that there was a creator before the universe. They, they made the assumption that, you know, God, you know, said, let there be light, and then the universe expanded, you know, from nothing. And that was just an assumption because we have no evidence for it. Chandler, how are we, Chandler, how are we doing on time? Well, we're, we are over our 30 minutes, but oh, okay. this is so right. important that I really want, want us to finish this because, you know, this Absolutely. is. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, Chandler. Guys, go as long as you want because it it's an excellent discussion. I just have to get going, so like I'll I'll, I'll talk to you guys again next Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> All right, look forward to it. Nice talking to you. Guys. Okay, bye. bye. You too. Yeah. See, Ronnie, the reason that this podcast, that both our free will, science, and religion podcast, as well as the one we're doing now, in personal opinion, is so important, is because once you start questioning something. It leads to more questions, and there's more questions. There's always more discussion to be had, and that's what's so great about this because there are there are many paradoxes, and we started this by talking about paradoxes, and what we're saying is, you know, there is a paradox, and one of the examples of a paradox is the idea of a beginning because if you say there was a beginning to the universe, well, then what began the beginning? And if you say that... Itself. What? The beginning itself. So, like, here's the deal. Um, so you're saying the beginning itself began itself. Yes. The beginning can't have another beginning. If there is another beginning, then it's not a beginning. Right. And see, here's what's interesting is we don't blame each other for disagreeing on this. Um, that, and that's a very important point. And I'm not judging you for, for disagreeing with me. I'm just simply... Trying to move the conversation forward. Yes, totally. And but I'm I'm just saying, yeah. And I don't judge you either because I can't because you didn't decide to have the opinion you do. <laughs> That's what's interesting because no matter like every every belief that we have, every opinion we have, is not something that we just got out of nothing. That we didn't just decide I'm going to have this opinion. Um, it's for example. And, like, for example, I've often said to people, well, I didn't choose to become pro-life, you know, and it's a very important thing um, because there's always prior causes, including the level of empathy in somebody's brain and the way they were raised and their genes and all this sort of stuff that's outside of their control. And so I never – here's the deal. Today, I no longer blame anybody um, at, at the time for having the opinion that they have because I understand that there's reasons and causes that led them to have that opinion. And obviously, everybody disagrees on something. I've never seen two people who agree on every subject. And it's interesting because take, for example, um, you know, I used to blame people. I used to judge and blame people and want to punish people but I now have this new understanding 
that no one's to blame, but it's not. But my motivation is not to make anybody suffer. I'm not trying to punish anybody. I just want to do whatever I can to re-educate people to be yeah, and I less harmful. And I don't blame Muslims, Jews, and Christians for making the assumption that there was a creator, you know, before the universe. I don't blame them for that at all. What I'm saying is, is that saying that there's a creator without evidence, that by definition is an assumption. Yeah, and it's see a what faith because you can't know it, or yeah. well, and you really can know it in a way, but not in a way that a lot of people will accept. I'm sure. Well, it's kind of an interesting thing because. Like, like Jamie said, you know, I don't blame somebody for believing in a god or a creator or a first cause. And what's interesting about it is I understand that their brain is wired in such a way, through whatever the combination, whether how much is biological and how much of it is environmental, is really hard to know. But some people are wired with the idea of a first cause. Their brain, it just makes sense to them that there had to be a beginning to all things. And someone like me simply didn't choose to have a brain that, like, well, what then what began the beginning? And what began the beginning of the beginning? And, you know, the infinite regress. You can't begin the beginning of a beginning. I mean, the beginning of the beginning, or the beginning of the beginning is the beginning itself. <laughs> well, it's so funny because this is exactly why philosophy is so crazy. Because everybody has different ideas of on topics like about the beginning of the universe people have different ideas about what's moral or immoral and that's where that's why I'm more of a philosopher I like to get down to the moral things about well is you know for example somebody says you know killing is wrong which I agree but I'm like well why is killing wrong you but know it isn't just morality well, I know it includes all sorts of other topics like like whether people believe in God or a soul or, or a beginning to the universe or dualism versus monism. There's all kinds of philosophical topics yeah. which involve all kinds of paradoxes. And that's what's They're great. Fun. It's a lot of fun. So, Ronnie, I, I hope you're enjoying talking with us about these paradoxes. I do. Um, I'll send you a paper that I read that was really... Uh, very good, the good philosophical paper. Interesting, yeah, because you know a lot of philosophy goes straight over my head. <laughs> I mean, and I think that happens with everybody. Unlike people say some stuff that's like, wow, and then there's other stuff like, I think therefore I am, and I'm like, okay, well, I, I mean, yeah, I, I kind of get that idea, you know. And what that, what that means. It, yeah, it's, it's what he it, meant when he said that. Well, yeah, it, it was from what I understand is like he's like, well, I'm thinking something, and so he's like, well, if he's thinking, then you know he's conscious, he's aware, and so he has to sort of exist to be aware, you know. It, so it's about a question of, I guess, existence about self. Yeah, he says I, I'm. He he sat down and he's like, and and if this is if I'm correct, he sat down and he was like, well. I'm going to I'm going to take away pretty much everything that I know and I'm just going to go down to the basics like how do I know I exist? It's like well I can't say that I exist because there's a desk sitting in front of me because I don't know if the desk exists. But then he right. he, he sat there and he said, "Well, I'm thinking and because I'm thinking, I must exist. I think therefore I am." 
And you know what, Ronnie? What I get out of that the most is that the 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 basis of all knowledge is consciousness. That we're aware of something. You know, because if we weren't conscious, then we wouldn't be having this discussion. Because I'd be asleep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and so that's the whole point. See, Ronnie, is that um, I hear uh, all you guys on Skype while we're talking and recording podcasts. And because I, I can hear you, I know that not only am I pers- I do I exist because I um, I'm experiencing something, but I know these other people um, it must exist. Or where are these noises coming from? You know, so it's about existence and consciousness, and it's all. Uh, and there's there's actually some some puzzles about whether or not you actually do exist, and whether well, I should say whether or not this is real. And those are some fun ones. I'll have to send you right. those too. Well, I know. Like, for example, solipsism is like where people like can be matrix, like where it's all like they create their reality and that there's nothing that, that can be known to exist independently of your perception, it, which is kind of a weird thought. And then like, it's, yeah, no. but, you know, the idea of a self is interesting because people have different ideas of what the self is. And for a monist like me. Um, you know, basically the self is my body, basically, probably my, my brain, or perhaps I don't know to what extent the consciousness might be contained in the other parts because, you know, I mean, that's a whole topic right there. Yeah, that's a huge topic. It's very huge because I think about, and I think, well, you know, um, you know, my, my heart beats and. I'm not thinking about my breathing and my blood cells are doing whatever they're doing, you know, and, and strain all the bacteria in my gut, <laughs> all kinds of interesting things. And so it's like, well, you know, um, which of these things are me and which of these things are not me? And I'm kind of like, well, all of it is connected into this one body at this time. So all of this is me. But me now and me uh, a year from now is not the same me because food has come in and gone out. And, <laughs> you know, it's free. Well, right. But, I mean, that's like saying the seasons change, therefore it's not the same tree, even though the same tree is standing. Well, it's, it's, what's interesting, though, is understanding, like, that we're made of atoms, we're made of material, and that we, we lose... Um, our our matter and we gain matter back every time we eat and every time we poop we lose matter and like it's it's a funny thought because well you know like for example i i i think i heard or read somewhere that every 11 years every cell of your body is replaced or something like that um which is an interesting thought because it's more like the you um now are all descendants of the, the you that was 11 years ago. So it's like, but it's so similar that for, for practical purposes, we refer to them as the same person. But I can tell you one thing. I don't think, like, I don't feel like the same person that I was as a teenager because everything, like, about me is, is different. Whether, whether the size of, of the body or the way I think, which is, of course, in my view, the brain, because I don't believe in a immaterial mind, but the, it's probably the brain that everything I'm saying is processed, and most of it at the level of the unconscious before I'm conscious of what I'm saying. 
Yeah, but you could be aware of something and still not be in control. I mean, for example, I mean, when we're asleep and we dream or have nightmares, we're not in control of those, but we experience them. Yeah. Right. That's true. And so it, th this whole... reality is that human beings are not nearly as in control as they would like to think, but that doesn't mean that they don't have free will. That well, doesn't, like that doesn't necessarily follow. And I'll have to do some more reading on um, determinism. Obviously, I'm not very, very good at um, articulating myself in this discussion because I'm not, I'm not that deep into it yet. Yeah. I and can only can... ask questions and see where, where I go, so. And what's interesting about it, Ronnie, is that definitions are very important. And what, what bothers me, for example, is when people use the same word or set of words to mean the exact, totally different things, but the exact same word. For example, the, what, look at what people have done with the word God. Just look at how one person talks about God, they're a Christian, the other's a Jew, the other's a Muslim, the other's some Hindu. But the, um, but the, but the, uh, the definition of God is the same in every single religion, and that is the creator. But actually, Hindu um, and other polytheistic type of religions have multiple gods. Or I, sh I should spec. I should. I should be. I should have been more clear. Because you're right. The the concept of God is is merely higher power. Right. It's more. It's kind of interesting because there in in my word web dictionary, there's like different. There's lowercase g o d and there's uppercase g o d, and they have different definitions because they mean different things. Like capital uh, g o d is usually like a monotheistic religions like there's one god who's the creator and is omnipotent and omniscient and all that sort of stuff but then you have like um polytheistic gods like where there's many oh, different gods so that's the thing is it, it it needs to be made a distinction like well well do you believe in god yes well which god and then the one person's like what do you mean there's only one god and but oh, the other person yeah. It's like um, you know, have you the word president? Like, if you capitalize the word president, then you're referring to the president of the United States or the president of your country. Basically, you're referring to one person. And if you have it lowercase, then you're referring to just the general president. Like, it yeah. could be any president. And like, like a, of a corporation or stuff like that. Yeah. Well, the important thing is, Ronnie, when we talk, we don't see how capitalized something is. When somebody says the word God, we, we, we all, it's all filtered through all our prior experiences. So when somebody, to me, says the word God, what happens is some kind of uh, sadistic um, torturer who wants to burn you forever. That's what pops into my head as soon as I hear that word. But for somebody else... Like George. So you need, when somebody says God to you, then, and if you do not properly understand them, what you need to do is you need to ask. I agree. I totally yes, agree. That... thing confuses people because when you mention the word God, some um, people just assume you're talking about the Creator God, uh, not just some other, you know, superior being who. A lot of a lot of problems is that nobody wants to ask and they want to assume what That's God means when. That's right. Clearly, very very different. And, yeah, and see, this, Ronnie, this is what's good because we're asking each other questions about what we mean about things, and and you ask us, you ask us questions about certain things we're we're saying, and that's good. I mean, I, I'm like, I'm more, I'm very much the question everything type. I'm like anything you can ask questions about anything because 
the re and the reason I'm so much that way has a lot to do with the fact that I was raised in you know a, a Christianity that's like don't question God, don't ask questions, just believe. And it's like, well, I have to, I have to ask the questions about well, what am I supposed to believe? And they're like, oh, I don't just but just believe, don't believe anything, just believe. And I'm like, well, I have to have something to believe. Oh, that's silly. Because there were the Norse gods, um, what the Vikings believed in. This stuff predated Christianity, didn't it? So. Yeah. And what I, what I learned, and what's great about it is, you know, I started studying other religions, and what really opened my eyes was Hinduism, because like the idea that they all have, like the, each family has a different god that they've worshipped for generations. And it's interesting because God for them might just be the one, the source, the ultimate reality, or Brahman, or, or something like that. And I understand that kind of God is not the same as the Christian God necessarily. Um, and then when you know George, George, when he talks about God, he just means the universe because he's pantheist. You know, he's like God literally is the universe. But so well, when you talk about materialists like us, we don't believe in any gods. We we just believe that the universe um, has no consciousness and that we yeah. exist. That's it. Yeah. Right. And there's a very there's a very very small dis distinction between me as an atheist and George as a pantheist, for example. For him, the universe has a consciousness, from how I've heard him say it before. So. Um, mm -hmm. So that's an interesting thought, but for me, I'm like, well, I don't think the universe has one conscious mind, but I do know that we're conscious. There's multiple living things in this universe, so it's practically there's not that much of a difference between pantheism and atheism, the way I view it anyway. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's good to know when somebody uses a word such as God or they say free will or they say afterlife or any of the controversial topics, you know, it's good to ask them what they mean. Because I found out that the word hell has different meanings to different people. Because some people, they refer to hell as, as the literal torture burning forever, which is what I was taught. And then some people by... By hell, they just mean the grave, or they just mean a place where you're, you're destroyed and you don't exist after that. And some people, by hell, they just use it as a, as a swear word. You know, they use it like, oh, this is a living hell, or like, you know, what the hell, or, you know, people just, so people use the same word in different ways. And as an autistic person, it really confuses me, because language is not my forte. Yeah, because... Um... Oh, I forgot what I was going to say now. I lost my train of thought. Oh. If I had a free will, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, it's interesting because we we don't we neither choose the memories um, in the first place because we don't choose the experiences that leave those memories, but we also can't choose to remember what we want and forget what we want because there's a lot of things I would love to forget, <laughs> you mm. know, <laughs> and a lot of things I like to remember. Totally agreed. There's, so, there's some, so many horrible memories I just want to get rid of, but I can't. <laughs> yeah, but Ronnie, I'm so glad you're enjoying this, and you know, some, yeah. yeah, and I'm so glad you know that you're enjoying it because see, a lot of times when people talk about these issues, they just get all mad and angry. It's like you know, and and a lot of fighting um, it happens over definitions of words. For example, you know, there's, within the abortion debate, there's the whole, is it a baby or is it a fetus 
uh, debate when like it's not a baby, it's a fetus. And when somebody says that to me, I'm like, it's not the sun, it's a big flaming ball in the sky. It's the star. <laughs> yeah, whatever you call it, I'm actually not concerned with the words so much as, well, what do the words mean? I'm like, and so for me, the sun is the same as the star or a big flaming ball in the sky where we get our main light from on Earth. So that's the thing is that for me, like, I actually am very upset. There's so much fighting over what words mean. And my, and my, my solution, like, when it comes to God or free will, I like to make distinctions. Well, which God? Which definition of free will? It's definitely good. And, and, you know, because we did, even though this episode is pri primarily started out as being about paradoxes, I mean, it's impersonal opinion. We can have any impersonal opinion, whatever. But we talked so much about free will that, and there are two major distinctions. Because there's the libertarian kind, which says nothing outside of my control made me do what I do. And then there's compatibilist uh, free will. It's like, well, I'm not really in control, but it's still me doing it. <laughs> You know, so it sounds just from our talks, it sounds like you're more of a compatibilist and that um, even, you know, that kind of thing. Like even though you are you didn't create yourself, you still feel like it's you making the choice. Is that an accurate understanding? Um, as far as that goes, yes. Yeah. And, that, and it always needs to be distinguished because like um, people... Um, and one thing is, I, think. I, I mean, yeah. I'll, like I said, I'll have to learn more about it and get back to you. Right. And one thing is, you know, when we talk about how we don't have a free will, then people say, oh, we do have free will. Free will simply means this. And I'm like, well, according to that definition, then yes, we have, we have that kind of free will. But we try to explain that we're talking about libertarian free will, which is the kind of the Augustine type of idea, the type of free will that Christians tend to teach, and the only and the reason that that definition is of such importance, primarily for me, is not because I'm picky about people's words, which I am picky about words. Okay, so but but it's um, partly because about the type of free will required to deserve hell. That's my concern because my my what I'm saying is nobody deserves to go to heaven or hell. You know, and that's a very important thing because I want to eliminate this fear of hell because whenever people are afraid that they're going to hell, it tends to make them afraid to question things. They try to believe certain things because they're told they have to believe this, this, and that in order to avoid going to hell. So that's why I'm such a big part of this podcast, you know. Why can, I, I mean, fear is a, a major factor in like um, decision making because um, when it comes to the abortion debate, right? I don't want to get involved in it because I know what a backlash um, you know either side gets. People start accusing each other, calling each other idiots, and other kinds of insults. I mean, if you're for abortion or against abortion, it doesn't matter. It's still it's still a hot topic. It's controversial. You know what I mean? It's yeah. And I totally get what you're saying there, Jamie, because it's controversial and because people will say false things about you and people get mad at you when you express an opinion on that topic. Well, that's a good example about how fear motivates you away from a certain behavior. 
You know, that, and so I agree totally. Fear is perhaps, it's one of the biggest um, causes of why people do what they do. But I almost wonder sometimes if it's the most powerful influence. What do you guys think? I mean, it, it's like, I think Jamie said something earlier about like, well, fear is what helps you survive because if you're afraid of something, then it helps you avoid something which kills you. Or so, to fight it. Yeah, either, yeah, fight. Fight, or, fight or flight response, which of course yeah. requires fear to have any response, you know? Um, so fear is such a big, powerful motivator. Yeah, it's a it's a useful actually because it can save your life. I mean, especially if like um, someone was chasing you with a knife or something. If someone was trying to rob you. Yeah, that fear is gonna make you run like twice as fast as what you normally would. <laughs> exactly, and and, and that's you better keep running, boy. And that's yeah. an important that's an important thing because you know, basically those who are more fe fearful tend to survive better than those who aren't afraid of things that can kill them. So in a certain sense, it's like fear tends to be the greatest uh, motivation just because you don't reproduce unless you're scared enough to run away um, from, from that which is trying to kill you before you reproduce. Yeah. 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 You know, and I was just going to mention, I was going to clarify that into a more simpler, I think, idea is that fear is just a tool. It's a tool that you can use for a number of different things. It's just a tool. Yeah, it's a it's tool. It's just like um like a like a shovel or like a hammer. Yeah, and what's interesting about it is people can use all kinds of and this is what's sad is that people can threaten you um and and scare you into doing certain things. And that's what I'm concerned about because fear is such a powerful motivator um you know that's why i feel like you know um governments and religions you know a lot of a lot of people looking to make people do something will use fear they'll use something to scare them into doing something and there are things to legitimately be afraid of uh you know i just i just don't like people being afraid of something if it's not a real threat and you shouldn't confuse fear with empathy either because fear uh, means that um you know you you experience emotions you feel you feel sympathetic towards another person's suffering that um and that usually stops people from you know hurting others but when someone's a psychopath the part of their brain that controls empathy is not working so they can't empathize with the suffering of another and for this reason they're more likely to you know make a mistake that can come back on them in future yeah i mean fear yeah fear is very interesting i and and like some people say contrast fear with love you know and they say like you know love is is a powerful motivator too um and of course it depends on how you define love because love is another one of those confusing words and i'm sure you guys are aware of this that for a lot of people love is used as a synonym for sex or something like that you know well, unlike Which, fear love is love is really a tool i mean love doesn't do anything actually and fear doesn't do anything people do things because of love or fear it's people doing things it's not the emotions
it's it's an interesting thing, but think about it. Let's say there were no emotions. Let's say that these emotions didn't exist. Well, we would still be doing things. It's it's, it's not based on emotion. Well, it's kind of a weird thing because I think we would have all died out by now. If there hadn't been fear, for example, if there hadn't been a fear, then things would have just killed. Like I said, fear is a tool. Right. And so I think fear is a is a powerful tool that keeps the species going, as is love. Um, I, and for me, love, I'm just going to use love as a synonym for, you know, like empathy, like you care about the suffering of somebody else. And so generally you try to um, you try to avoid somebody being hurt because you wouldn't want to be hurt. And that kind of love for me is the other thing that's required for any society to survive. Yeah, and the reason why we have a criminal justice system is because humanity has evolved to such a point where we understand that certain behaviors are, um, you know, harmful to another, and we cannot allow these um, because these are risk factors. They could come back on us in future if we don't deal with them. Yeah, and you know what, guys? There isn't, like, here's the thing is, you know, fear and love are both powerful motivators but you know in the end i don't think they're that different i think they're they might be pretty close to equal power because you know there's fear like when somebody like tools yeah that it's interesting they're both tools and similarly for example um you might like you might love somebody therefore you um you do something to save their their life or to reduce their suffering but at the same time um it's it you know it's also a fear like they they get so mixed together because you're you love somebody and you're afraid something's going to happen to them and whether it's you love them or you love yourself you know or both which is ideal i think um then it's like well yeah there's a threat there's a fear because there's a threat to somebody's life you know so they're actually so closely together that some people even say that they're just kind of the same thing but reverse, like they're opposites somehow. Yeah, I mean, and we've been we've been talking for over an hour, so we probably will want to end this soon. But did you? <laughs> but but I mean, we talked about so many good things, and so I think people will enjoy listening to this, and I hope the recording went well. So, was there anything else you guys wanted to say before I just end the recording? Okay, I don't care what any of you guys say. Um, I'm going to have the free will to take a nap. <laughs> okay, yeah. It, it's, it, it's interesting. And see, yeah, Ronnie says she has the free will to take a nap. And us determinists say that she, she, was, she was forced to take a nap because she's tired. <laughs> Oh, oh, you know, that's a fair point. So I'm going to go submit to my deterministic will. <laughs> yeah, either way, Ronnie's going to take a nap. Either way, it doesn't matter why. The nap yeah. Is- yeah, it's been predetermined as the Big Bang that Ronnie would, that take, Ronnie a would nap. take a nap. <laughs> yeah. Wow, well, this has been a really good talk, guys. So I, I guess... Into a determinism more, she'll find it very interesting. Basically, it's just materialism. Yeah. 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 In a sense, just cause and effect, you know, everything having some cause. But yeah, I guess um, if everyone. I'll I'll send you that paper. 
okay, yeah, I'll, I'll see what that's about. And so is there anything else anyone still wants to say before I just close out this recording or? Um, oh, don't all speak at once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can finish it. Yeah, okay. Well, you've been listening to Impersonal Opinion, the show where we don't take our opinions personally. And we've had a lot of opinions today about paradoxes and free will and the origin of the universe and definitions of words and people taking naps and <laughs> all, that, all that fun stuff. So I hope you've enjoyed uh, listening to this as much as we've enjoyed talking about it. And as much as I enjoy napping. <laughs> yes, as much as Ronnie enjoys napping. So bye-bye for now. <laughs>